I invite you to open up to Jude as we continue our study through this portion of Scripture. Now, just out of curiosity, I, I did get to see something that I've never seen before. Uh, we're going to be, you know, 50 next year, and, and my kids, I told them, our whole family got to go, and, you know, this is something that you'll remember the rest of your life. We actually got to see a president speak in person. How many have gotten to actually do that, see a president speak in person? Not many. Look, one, only one, two, three, only a few people here. Um, of course, Chalmer got to see George Washington, and uh, that was back in the days when you could see the presidents and go there and uh, talk to some in person. There was less security back then. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing that, um, you know, we, the things that you see and that the news puts on afterwards. And, of course, you guys all saw, saw him fall. Uh, what you don't know is that, well, first of all, let me say this. I didn't push him, all right? Because some people ask, you know, you were there, did you push him? No, I didn't push him. But um, the, um, um, what you don't know is that he was standing saluting 921, I think it was, if I get it right, 920, 921 different. It was the last one. And when the last one walked down, the crowd is going crazy and he falls. And so people don't know, are they clapping because he fell or are they clapping because it was the last one to graduate? And um, they were actually told beforehand, what you don't know is that you don't touch a president. You can go to jail or get shot. They don't know. So when, when he fell, they were told not to, to do anything because you can get in big trouble. They were actually told that before it started all that. Um, what amazed me is that... Uh, you know, hearing a president speak and, and, and all this and, and live for the first time, um, the, the things that were said and how personal he was and the different things that were said that you don't get from just seeing it on, on the news. Um, and uh, there were times when he was on absolute fire and then he would forget where he was and stop the sentence and continue on to the next one. Um, but what a speech. I was like, wow, I, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was amazed. I was unbelievable. In fact, I brought it with me. I'm going to read it to you. All right, I'm kidding around. It's a 30-minute 30, 30 speech. I just have this for my own, uh, you know, my own. Um, can you imagine Jude writing this letter and getting the verse 11 and delivering this as a sermon? These are some powerful verses. In fact, Brian made a comment in the first service that he couldn't wait to get to the end. Let me just tell you, I can't wait to get to the end either. I mean, this is, a, this is not an easy point. This is not the part of the scriptures that you read and you walk out with a warm and fuzzy heart and say, wow, what a beautiful message that was. That really filled me with joy today. This is a, this is a tough part of scripture. But we need to study it because it's very important. So fasten your seatbelts and get ready because we're going to go through this, Lord willing, and we're going to look at some uh, amazing things. And watch how he starts it off in verse 11. He starts it off by saying what? Woe to them. 
He, 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 is, he is saying the word, he says, woe to them. That word woe, you would see in your Old Testament scriptures. It's in, it's in different parts. And when that word is used, it's talked of somebody who is condemning somebody else or feels sorry for somebody else or regrets somebody else. So in, in verse 11, he's saying, woe to them. In fact, let me tell you this. One of the most powerful sermons by Jesus, Matthew 23 you ever read that one? Where he says over and over again, whoa, 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 whoa. And he talks to the Pharisees and the, and, and the scribes and he calls them hypocrites. And he says that God's judgment is coming down on them. Jude starts this sermon off by saying, you know what? Whoa, woe to them. These people are in trouble. He's talking of the false teachers. They are in big trouble. This is... This is, he, feels, he feels regret, he feels sorrow here. In fact, if you read Revelation, the word woe comes up in Revelation, and that is talking about God's impending judgment. So, so what he's saying in verse 11, there is impending judgment coming upon these people. You say, what people? Well, I want you to look at this because he's going to mention three different people in verse 11 of Jude. He's going to mention Cain, he's going to mention Balaam, and he's going to mention Korah. And the reason why he does is because he's talking about different people in all aspects of life. If you just think that false teachers are in the pulpit, you've missed it. There are false teachers right in the pews. There are false teachers maybe even sitting right next to you. Don't look. But they could be there. There are people that creep into churches that we think are believers that aren't. And they sit there and they sing songs and they open up their Bibles. And they're just as dangerous as somebody in the pulpit. And so he mentions different people. He mentions Cain, who was a farmer. He mentions Balaam, who was a preacher. He mentions Korah, who was a leader. These are all different kinds of people. And yet they're in trouble. Notice the progression in verse 11. They've gone down the way of Cain... They've rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. Here's what he's saying. The moment we start down that path of apostasy, of walking away from God and what God says, the moment we go down, all of a sudden we start going down it, we start rushing down it, and we end up what? Perishing. This is serious. And so we have to be really careful here not to go down the path. Don't even think about going down that path, he says here in verse 11. Don't even go this way. Now, let's look at the path that he's talking about here in verse 11. He says, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. This is interesting, because before Cain was a murderer, remember, he got a message from God. And God told him what he ought to do and what he ought not to do. And Cain, what did he do? He disregarded God's message. He did not listen to God's message. You know what false teachers do? They don't listen to God's message. They disregard God's word. They do what they want. He says, they've gone the way of Cain. They've disregarded God's message. Now, I told a joke in the first service, I want to see if you get it here in the second service. Why did Cain kill his brother? I know? Because? He was able. He was able. There you go. You got it. 
I know, it's a really bad one. He wasn't able. He shouldn't have done it, but he did it anyway. You guys are looking at you like, did I get that? Did I understand that one? Think about this for a moment. You know what Cain did before he was a murderer? He disregarded what God told him. You know what false teachers do? They disregard what God tells them, but it gets worse here. Look at this in verse 11. Not only did they go the way of Cain, for pay, look at this, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. Now, 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 some of you remember who Balaam was in the Old Testament. But let me just tell you a little bit about Balaam for a moment here. Balaam was the prophet that said this, I will not speak anything except what God has told me to speak. I will speak God's words. I will be faithful to God's words. And what happened to Balaam? All of a sudden, somebody offered him a little money. And when he offered him a little money, guess what happened? God's message changed. You say, is that, is that a temptation? You better believe it is. I remember early on in the ministry, a guy I look up to and still look up to. He was a pastor. There was a guy in the church. He was really rich. And he would flaunt how much he gave to the church. And I remember that pastor saying to me, I'm not changing the message for that guy's money. He tried to manipulate the church with his money. And the pastor remained true to the message. And the guy wound up leaving the church. I have another friend who was about to be called to a church. And they asked him if he believed in a certain doctrine. And he never did before that moment. But he changed what he believed so that he can go to that church and get paid. Let me tell you, money often changes people. And here's what he says here in this verse. He says this, he says, Woe to those who have gone down the way of Cain. Woe to those who for pay have not only disregarded God's message, but changed God's message. That's what he did. The error of Balaam is one that was a prophet for hire that changed God's message and told the people they can live what they want and live in immorality and do what they want. But it gets even worse. Look at this in verse 11. Woe to those who have gone the way of Cain. They disregard God's message. The ones that change God's message. The error of Balaam changed God's message for money where pay is all that they're worried about. And notice this here. Who have perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the people that can't be under the authority of anyone. They have to call the shots. And when anyone else calls the shots, they get upset at that. They want to be the main one. They don't know how to live under authority and that's what Korah did. He rebelled against Moses and Aaron and couldn't live under the very authority of, of what God gave him. He's saying, don't go down this path. Don't go down the path of disregarding God's message. Don't go down the path for money changing what you're going to share with other people. Don't go down the path of being insubordinate and can't be under the authority of somebody else. And then he's going to use different things to explain what kind of people these are. This is, this is amazing. Notice this in verses 12 to 13. He goes all over the place in different ways and, and talks about different people. I want you to see this here. Notice this here. He goes to the sea and he says this in verse 12. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feast. You know what he's saying? These are people who pretend to play the part. These are people that you don't see their true colors 
until it's too late. These are people, look at this in verse 12. They enter into the love feast. You know what that was in the Bible? That was back then they would get together and they would have a meal together and then they would have the Lord's Supper and then they would have communion at the end. And so these are people that would go into the very love feast. They would eat with you. They would sit with you. They would play the part. Don't miss this. They do this without fear. You don't see who they really are. They're, they're, they're hidden reefs. They're, they're, they're spots, another translation. They're blemishes in your love feast. They hide their true colors. And you know when their true colors often come out? Their true colors come out when you put them in a position of leadership. And then all of a sudden you see their true colors of who they really are. And you're like, wow, I didn't even know that person was like that. They're, they're hidden reefs, and what he's saying here, they're very dangerous people. What do hidden reefs do? The ship thinks they're okay. The ship is going along, hits a reef. What happens? Destroys. They're, they're unseen. And then later on, they show their true colors. How do you see them? Look at verse 12. They care for themselves. Literally, in the Greek, they shepherd themselves. They're only worried about themselves. They're not worried about you. I remember somebody that came into the church, he says, I'm here for a blessing. I want a blessing today. I thought, are you here to give a blessing or to get a blessing? People are here to get stuff. We're here to give. They shepherd themselves. They care about themselves. They only worry about themselves. They're like these hidden reeds. You don't even, and they have no fear. They just show up. They sit there and they're just there. Open up their Bibles. They're there. They eat with you. You think everything's okay. They're playing a the part. Watch this. They're clouds without water. Now we're thankful for the rain. We're thankful for the clouds. Usually when you see a cloud, what's going to happen? When you see it fill up, you, you know it. You know it's dark. Guess what's going to happen after it's dark? It's going to probably rain. We're excited about rain. We'll get all excited about it. There's nothing more frustrating when you see your grass dying and a cloud comes over and it looks dark and it doesn't rain. What good was it? You know what he's saying here? These are people that make promises, but they don't deliver I want to show you one of these people. Look at Proverbs 25 for a moment. Look at this. Proverbs 25, verse 14. You can turn there. It's page 927 in my Bible. Proverbs 25, verse 14. Look at this. Look at the kind of people these are. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts, what? Falsely. You see that? These are the people that try to let you know that they're doing good things when all reality they're not. These are the people going back to Jude who promise you everything but deliver nothing. They're great promises. They pretend to be something else that they're not. They promise you all kinds of things, but they're just carried along by the winds. They don't deliver on the promises. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Notice what they are here in verse 12. This gets very serious here. They are autumn trees without fruit. 
You know what he's saying? He's saying they are fruitless. You know why they're fruitless? Because look what the passage says. They are doubly dead. They have no fruit because they have no root. They have a profession of Christ, but they have no possession of Christ. They say, yeah, I believe, but their life does not show that they believe. And so instead of worrying about their fruit, we should be worried about their root. There's a reason why trees don't bear fruit. Something's wrong with the root. And so when a Christian says, I'm not bearing fruit, something is wrong with that. Something's wrong with the root. They are doubly dead. They have no fruit because they have no root. They're unsaved. And not only that, they're going to be judged. He says they've been uprooted. What are the chances of getting fruit out of a tree that's been uprooted? Zero. There's judgment there. He says these people, they, they pretend to part. These are people that promise you the moon but never deliver. These are people that have no fruit in their lives, no spiritual fruit. But he gets even, look at this, it gets even, gets even harder here in verse 13. He goes to the sea. These are like the wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam. Now, now some of you haven't had the blessing of visiting a beach in New York City. But let me tell you something about beaches in New York City. They are wonderful. They have things that no other beach has. They have dirty needles. <laughs> they have garbage. They have hospital waste. I remember swimming in some of this stuff. I'm like, holy cow. And then it came on the news. Watch out when you go to the beach. You may get stuck by a needle. There's needles floating everywhere. Needles! They destroy beaches with the things that they would throw in there. And what he's saying is these people destroy lives. They're like these wild waves that hit down and, and destroy and just leave the foam and destroy things. They damage things. And then they're like wandering stars. They're like shooting stars. People back then would depend upon the stars for direction to lead them, to guide them. There it is, the North Star. I'll go north this way. I'll go this way. I'll follow this star. But they're moving stars. They're wandering stars. And so what they're saying, they're unreliable guides. They guide people in directions they ought not to go. They mislead you. They're pretenders. They promise the moon. They promise everything. They, 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 they have this, these clouds without waters. They, they destroy things. They have no fruit because they have no root. And he's going to illustrate it for us. But before he does, he says something very, very difficult here in verse 13. He says, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. You want to know what hell's like? Some people joke around about hell being hot. Let me just tell you something about hell. Of course, hell is hot and people are going are gonna to burn and they're going to continually burn and they can't die. But let me tell you something else about hell. You may not like this. Hell is a dark blackness. A darkness there where you don't see. You ever been in a complete dark place and you can't see anything? Imagine that forever and ever. That's just a picture of hell. People think there's going to be partying in hell and they're going to be with the devil partying. That's not hell. 
Hell is a place we don't want to go. And hell, he says right here, is this, it's been reserved for them. And he gives a picture of it. This black darkness has been reserved forever. And hell is not just for one day. It is forever. He says, let me illustrate this for you. Verse 14. He's going he's gonna to go into a, 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 something that we, we say, why in the world is he going there? He's going to talk about Enoch. Now, if you ever study Enoch, you understand that Enoch, right, in the Bible, in Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. That's, that's an exciting thing about Enoch. We know that Enoch lived by faith and he trusted in God, Hebrews 11. But did you know that Enoch was a preacher? Now watch this. Verse 14, he says, it was about these men that Enoch, Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, notice the next thing he did. He prophesied. Where did Enoch prophesy? Where did he do it? We don't see it in the Bible. But we know that he did it from another book outside of the Bible. First Enoch. Now somebody says, wait a minute, he's quoting First Enoch. Does that mean it's all right? No, it doesn't mean it's all right. Paul often quoted other people. He quoted poets. He quoted prophets. I could quote uh, President Biden and mention some things by him. Does this mean it's all right? Not one amen. Huh? He quoted somebody. But what he quotes is right. And Enoch prophesied. Look what he did. This is amazing. Enoch doesn't mention the first coming. Enoch talks about the second coming. And look what he says here. One of the first ones, the prophet, to, to speak of the second coming, not even the first coming. The second coming, look what he says about it. Behold, the Lord came. It's in the aorist tense, past tense, which it means the Lord is going to come. It's not going to stop. We're not going to stop this. He will come. The Lord came, here's where it gets exciting, with many thousands of his holy ones. He's talking about angels, and guess who else he's talking about? The redeemed saints. I'm going to get to ride a horse, praise God. A glorified horse. One that won't bite me. I hate horses. One that won't bite me. Last time I rode a horse, the dumb thing bit me. This one won't bite me. And I'm going to come on a horse with the Lord. And so are you if you're redeemed here. And he's going to judge the world. Here's what's not exciting. We really don't do anything. We just are on our horses. He gets them with one word of his mouth. He says he's coming to, to do this. Look at this. Behold, the Lord has come with thousands of his holy ones. Why is he coming? Verse 15. To execute what? Judgment upon all. You see, his first coming, he came to die. He came for a cross. He came to die in the place of you and me. In his second coming, he's coming to judge. He will judge how many people? All. None will escape. He will judge not only all. Look what he says here in verse 15. He will convict. He will expose all. Of what they're doing. And here's what's happening. People are saying back then, oh, there's no ungodly people. There's no ungodly deeds. You can just do what you want. You know what? 
Jude says, he is going to convict all, and notice he can't get away from the word ungodly. You see how many times he says it? Ungodly. He says, in all the ungodly, of all their ungodly deeds that they've done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh which the ungodly sinners have spoken against them. He just says, ungodly, 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 ungodly. Now, before you think that ungodly people are just wicked people that do all kinds of wicked things, you've missed it. Ungodly people are people who live their lives without God. My neighbor's a very nice guy. He gets up on Sundays, he mows his lawn, he goes out to eat, he does different things, he lives his life without God. Ungodly people live their lives without God. They have no regard for God, no regard for His Word, no regard for His will. They just live their lives without Him. Wow, think about that. Think about how many people come to church that do that. They come Sunday to hear a message and the rest of the week they don't pray, they don't read the Bible, they don't depend upon... They live their lives without God. That is called ungodliness. It's, two, it's one word in the Greek but with a little A in front of it ungodly, without God, a without, without God. He says, these people, notice this here, in verse 15, they, they live their lives without God, their works are without God, their ways, their lives are without God, and notice this last thing, verse 15, he says, in all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have done, have spoken against him. You say, what harsh things do they speak against God? Now, here's where I want to rip this verse out of my Bible. Because this is about to convict all of us. Look at them in verse 16, what they're doing. These are grumblers. Complainers. These are the ones who are never satisfied with what they have. If it's winter, they want summer. If it's summer, they want winter. If it's raining, they want sunshine. If it's sunshine, they want rain. Nothing satisfies them. No matter what they have in life, they need something more. They're never satisfied with what they have. They complain about their lives and complain about what God has given to them. They find fault. Do you see that there? They're not finding fault with other people. They find fault with God. Now, they wouldn't say that, but they live that. And here's what I'm going to say, and here's what it's saying. Whenever we complain, we are finding fault with God. Whenever we say, Lord, why is this going on? Why am I doing this? Why, why can't I have this? I don't like what you've given me here. Why is the stock market going down, God? Why can't it go up? Why did my bank account this? Why isn't my health this? Why isn't this this? We're complaining. We are shaking our fist at God. We are finding fault. Reminds me of a little kid that came home and said, Mommy, my tummy hurts. Well, sweetie, your tummy's empty. Fill it up and it'll feel better. Then the husband comes home. Honey, my head hurts. Well, honey, your head's empty. <laughs> Fill it up. <laughs> and it'll be better. You don't like that one. <laughs> we complain about everything, don't we? 
God's provision isn't enough. God's plan isn't good enough. These people are murmurers. They find fault. They grumble. Not only that, look at verse 16. They follow after their own lusts. They seek pleasure. It's all about pleasure. It's all about what they can make them feel better and do better. They're all about themselves. Notice this here in verse 16. They speak arrogantly. They boast and they're proud and they, they make you feel like they got everything together and they have no problems at all. And every time you share a problem with them, they share with you how they fix their problem and they're okay and you're the only one with a problem. So you feel worse after you talk with them. And they always bring themselves up and they, they speak these big things and use big words and they make big promises and they, they're big time speakers. And they're arrogant. They think they got the world by the hand. They, they can do everything they want. And not only that, they flatter you. Oh, you're so nice. You're so sweet. I'm so glad you're in my life. You're a great believer. You're wonderful. You know why they tell you those things? Not because they care about you, because they want to fill their own wallets. Look what the passage says. For the sake of gaining a what? An advantage. God help us. God help us for saying things that are disingenuous. And literally in the Greek, which is interesting about flattering people, it's we try to lift their faces up when really we can care less about them and all we can care about is ourselves. These are the people that make you feel good after you hear a message. And you say, wow, thank you for that. Wow, I feel so good today. Thank you so much. I just, that was so great. Oh, you feel good? By the way, there's an offering box in the back. Can you uh, fill that up, please? And then next week, I'll make you feel even better. (laughs) You thought that was a good message? I got a better one for you next week. And don't worry, you're living in sin. You're doing great. You're living in sin. Oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. God still loves you. You're okay. This is, forget about yesterday. Today's your best day. You're going to be good. I was looking at some inspirational quotes by somebody I won't mention. And um, some of the things they're saying, boy, I want to start sending those out to the church throughout the week. See how you feel. Now, one amen. Flatter people. God help us if we start saying things that are not genuine. I read an article that really convicted me about How do we handle Pride Month? And one of the things they said about how you handle Pride Month is you don't just pat somebody on the back to make them feel like they're okay. That's not love. We don't flatter. We in love tell the truth. And sometimes that hurts. So how in the world do we put this into practice? I mean, look at these people. How, how in the world do we do it? Well, I looked at verse 16. I said, you know what? Here's how we can do it. Watch this. We can not be like this, but we can be something else. Look at this in verse 16. Instead of grumbling and complaining and finding fault with God, here's what we should do. Thank Him. Thank God. Thank God that the stock market is going down. Thank God that we have to now depend on Him more now than ever before. Thank God when you go to the doctor and the cholesterol is not where you hoped it would be. 
You know how I celebrate that? I eat a fat boy, amen? <laughs> because death is not an accident, it's an appointment. I am not going to die quicker, so forget about that. Amen. I had my, my results came back this week. They weren't the best, so what? Give me another fat boy, I love him. Thank God. Thank God for that person in your life that drives you crazy. That you complain about to your friends, to everyone around you. Thank God for that person. Instead of finding fault with God, thank Him for what He's given to you. Not only that, look at this. Instead of following after our own lust and making life about us, let's make life about other people. Let's see if we can bless other people. One guy, well, I want a blessing. No, how can I bless others? Instead of speaking arrogantly like we got it all together, let's be honest and tell people, I'm weak, I need help, I need prayers. I'm not there. When they, when they share a need or share a problem, just listen. Don't try to solve it. And then, instead of flattering people for the sake of an advantage, let's be honest. Throw away the flattery. I had a professor who used to joke, flattery will get you everywhere. No, it won't. Because those people will start to see your true colors. So let's be real. I know as in my profession and what I do by God's grace, people want to heap up for themselves people that will flatter them. As much as I love you, I can't do that. We need to be honest. We need to be true. We need to be genuine. Even if that hurts people's feelings. Because we need to care more about souls than about friendships. And when we start saying things without a genuine heart, God help us. For a sake of what? You see, those people that build you up all the time and say all good things about you and never really tell you the truth, you know what? They don't care about you. I, I tell people, I was in high school 18 years. No one ever shared the gospel with me. Where were they? Nine million people in New York. They didn't care. In fact, the one that I used to get drunk with and pass the bottle with, at the end of the year, I saw in the yearbook how he was a credible Christian, how he loved the Lord, never once shared Jesus with me. He wasn't my friend. We don't flatter. We, by God's grace, tell the truth in love. So let's live this out. These are people that come in, they creep in, we don't even see them. And then they show their true colors. They're going to promise and pretend. But we, by God's grace, are going to be real and genuine for His honor and for His glory. So how do we handle Pride Month? Here's how we handle it. We talk to them in love and we let them know the truth about Jesus Christ. And what the Bible says. That's hard. But let's live it. Let's bow in prayer. Father, every one of us is guilty of grumbling and complaining. Every one of us finds fault with your plan and with your purpose for our lives. And without realizing it at times when we complain, we don't even realize that we're shaking our fists at you. 
So God, right now in our hearts, we pray that you would cultivate and help us to cultivate a thankful heart, a grateful heart, a heart that realizes that we are so much better than we deserve. God, I pray that no one here would be playing the part, pretending a hidden reef. I pray that no one here would be doubly dead, that there's no fruit because there's no root. And if that's the case, that right now in their hearts they would say, Lord, I don't, I don't see fruit. There's no fruit in my life. Maybe there's no root. Maybe I need to get saved today. Maybe I need to put my faith alone in, in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that there's no one here that, that would speak arrogantly like they got it all together when they don't. And I pray most of all, Lord, that you would help us not to be a people that flatter others. Maybe it is to gain a friendship. Maybe it is to just avoid pain. Whatever the motive may be, that you would help us to be people who are genuine and true. Not arrogant and hateful, but genuine and true and loving. In a world where we wonder, how do we handle certain things in this world? You say in your word how to do it. God, I look at these people and I say, wow, help me. Help me not even to take a step in that path. Because the moment that we start to do that, all of a sudden we start rushing in that path and we're stuck in that path. And it's a path that leads to destruction. So God, we look to you. I pray if there's anyone that's gone down that path, that right now you would change them, change their hearts. And that you would help them to walk closer to you. We want to be people of our word. We want to honor you. And we know we can't do that without you. So we look to you and we praise you and love you. And we ask for forgiveness. Forgive our complaining hearts. Forgive our ungrateful hearts. Forgive our ungodly ways when we go through the week without acknowledging you and depending upon you and living as if you don't even exist. And help us to remember how much we are dependent upon you for the very breath that we take. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Remember this Saturday, ladies time together at nine o'clock here at the church. Let's go home and have a fat boy. <laughs>